Chad here with a quick message before we get started. Due to its depth, we're presenting our conversation on trauma bonding in two episodes. Please note that this episode ends rather abruptly. Hello, everyone, and welcome to And There You Go, a podcast about life. Whether you're hanging from a cliff by one hand or laughing your ass off, we'll cover it all. And now your co-hosts, Addie and Chad. Hey, Addie. Hey. How are you doing today? I've had better days, I've got to be honest. <laughs> yep, absolutely. I think what we're going to do is we're going to jump right into things today. Yeah. Uh, we've got a pretty heavy topic today. Mm-hmm. And um, it's all around something called trauma bonding. Yes. And so to kick this off, could you talk a little bit about what trauma bonding is? Certainly. Trauma bonding is an emotional bond with an individual. At least for me, generally, it's been an individual, but it also can be an emotional bond with a group of people that comes about in cyclical patterns of abuse. Okay. And it's perpetuated cyclically. Mm -hmm. Then there's like a reinforcement through rewards and punishments. So my experience with this on one level was kind of a hurt and rescue kind of thing. And so the perpetrator or abuser would be abusive and he'd create a series of problems for me on purpose, Mm -hmm. but then he'd swoop in as the rescuer. Okay. And so when you you get indoctrinated into some of that, Mm -hmm. you don't necessarily realize that that is what's taking place. You think, oh, All of these things have just happened and they're terrible, but so-and-so stepped in and saved the day. Even though that person created created the the issue or the problem. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. So it can occur in romantic relationships, Mm -hmm. uh, in parent-child relationships. It can be uh, like with cults or hostage situations. Okay. Uh, Like, say the Stockholm Syndrome. Sure. That would be considered trauma bonding. Okay. Because a lot of people that were involved in that and that were abused by people that were holding them in some sort of way, they, they start to feel bad for the people who are abusing them. Yeah. Or just take pity or will stick up for those people in some sort of way. And when I think of a hostage situation, I think about the Patty Hearst. Mm -hmm. Um, Sure. She was abducted, correct? Mm -hmm. And um, her abductors did awful things. And she got to the point where she was trauma bonded enough so that She was helping the people that were abusing her. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people can't understand this. Yeah, so I think we'll take a kind of a a dive into this Mm -hmm. and really try to uh, unravel it or unwind it a little bit. 
Now, I know you've got copious notes here and uh, some resources. So, <laughs> you know, it is approaching autumn. So the rustling that you hear, we can pretend they're leaves coming off the tree. Sure. But uh, we might hear some noise. But so I know that, you know, this is going to be a little bit of a heady conversation. Right. You know, but uh, let's let's proceed and, and see where it takes us. For me, for the most part, I'm speaking from an experience of romantic relationships. Mm-hmm that evolved into trauma bonding. Mm -hmm. But I also can say that I did feel at some point as though I was in a hostage or a cult situation because that's, it's almost one in the same. Well, if you think about certain abuse situations, I know some of them that I've, I've not been involved with, but I've seen firsthand. It really is like, a hostage situation sometimes. And I think some of the, you know, what little I've read about uh, trauma bonding, you know, I, th- I think that's one of the things that these people do, and we'll probably get into this down the road, is that they isolate people, which is oh, essentially completely. like, essentially like, you know, holding somebody hostage. Mm-hmm. That's something that abusers do regularly, mm-hmm. is that they create a situation where you, you don't have anybody left but them because they have done a smear campaign on you. I mean, I've had it done to me to the point where, you know, my best friends, my children, my parents, my siblings were contacted with all sorts of lies about me Mm -hmm. in order to isolate me so that the abuser had control. Sure. So, you know, I've watched a few episodes uh, I can't remember the name of the actress that got out of Scientology, but Leah Reming. Yes. Yeah. Her. Uh, I see some of that kind of thing as far as trauma bonding goes. Sure. In that organization, they do things to make you feel like you can't get out, and they'll create situations that are crisis situations. But then they'll be your savior. So then that's how you start to think about it. As though, even though they created the terrible situation, they saved you. So you forget that they're the ones that created it, basically. Trauma bonding, it also lives in the nervous system. And the brain makes an association between love and abuse and neglect. Okay. And I imagine that doesn't just happen instantly. I mean, I'm sure there's a process to it or stages to it. There is a process to it, but it's a hormonal attachment is what it is. And it's created by repeated abuse. And then you get the sprinklings of, oh, I'm saved every now and then. Okay. So when we're faced with abuse and neglect, we're chemically wired to focus on getting to the other side, not generally, you know, focusing on the abuse Mm -hmm. and what we're going to do about it. We just want to get out of it. And so if the abuser is the one that helps you get out of it, then there's some positive feelings towards that person. Of course. Holy crap. Yeah. It's a mess. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't mean to laugh. I mean, this is serious stuff. But that's okay because like we've talked about and not all situations are laughable, and some right. of mine certainly aren't. 
But when you can get to a point where you look at the ridiculousness of all of it, mm-hmm. sometimes you can laugh at it like, God, these people that do this to other people are sick. And once you find your way out of it, you can laugh a little bit too, mm-hmm. I suppose. I mean, I have. Yeah. You've listened to me do it. Oh, yeah. And, and maybe part of it's just trying to save myself from the extra hurt. So I'll Could laugh. Could be, yeah. But like I said, your brain makes an association with that love comes in abuse and neglect. So it's like hurt and rescue, but it's the same person hurting you and then rescuing you. Right. And so you you had mentioned cyclical before, and so it mm-hmm. sounds like that's certainly the cyclical part of it. Yeah, and your brain attaches itself to the positive experiences that you have with the abuser Yeah, because of the relief that you feel and the acceptance that you feel when they're the hero. Does that make sense to uh, you? You know, that it's starting to make <laughs> sense, yeah. You know, as you're talking about that, it almost sounds like uh, me when I was addicted to alcohol. You know, it was a horrible, abusive thing, but I loved the feeling of it. And I don't know that that's the same thing or not. But as you were talking about that, it, it kind of, in my mind, resembled what I was feeling with my relationship with alcohol. That does make sense to me. Although I never enjoyed the abuse, obviously. Well, no, no. But that feeling of relief that, oh, my God, they're being nice again. And, oh, they fixed this. It's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. You, you do get kind of addicted to that. And your body goes into that fight and flight or freeze. It goes into survival mode. And it kind of turns the brain off enough to be unable to think long term. When we're in crisis, Mm -hmm. it turns your brain off just enough so that you can make it seem like, oh, this is okay. It just helps create a feeling like you're surviving. We need this abuser to survive. And that's exactly what they want. That's a scary thought. And it's mistaken for love. I think I can see that, actually. Uh So... So I've got a couple of questions, and I don't know if this is the right time for them. Uh, If I can ask them, uh, and if you want to defer them, that's totally fine. But I'm just curious, how does this start? Does this is this something that just? I mean, you know, it doesn't. I know it doesn't happen overnight. But is somebody predisposed to it, or does something happen to them? Or I think that some people are very predisposed to it. They could have been in other abusive relationships. Okay. And so they're predisposed because of that and all the shame that goes along with it as well. And it it becomes a hormonal thing. And it's created by repeated abuse. And and then it's sprinkled with you're saved every now and then. Mm -hmm. And the, the saver is the same person who hurt you. Yeah. It's almost like you're kind of sitting there at a slot machine and there's intermittent reinforcement and so you go along with it. So you're losing, you're losing, you win. 
And even though right. your win doesn't pay off as much as you've lost, you still feel good about it and it keeps you coming back. Yeah. And you hear a lot of people say things like, oh, I went to the casino and I won $200. But then I wonder, how much did you spend to win $200? Yeah. So the conditioning is intuitively exploited by the abusers. It's kind of like ripping off a Band-Aid every time. Like, they'll do something awful, and they'll give just enough, and you'll get comfortable in it, and then they rip the Band-Aid off, and it's hell. It's like in conjunction with gaslighting, I'd say, emotional abuse, manipulation. It makes us question our reality, mm-hmm. obviously, because you're like, this person's hurting me, but oh, they're my savior. So a lot of psychological, emotional uh, manipulation and abuse. It's like there's building blocks that are formed for trauma bonding. Even like receiving long-term silent treatments. Mm-hmm. And you're walking on eggshells and then they are finally, they, they quit giving you the silent treatment. And that, that if you've dealt with narcissists, that narcissistic stare, mm-hmm. the hollow narcissistic stare, and they just don't even acknowledge your person or your existence in any sort of way. So is that as if they're just looking through you and ignoring you rather yes. than an intimidation type stare? Oh, it's both. It is, okay. It's totally both. And they do it on purpose. And then we'll get past that, and then you feel like they've saved you because they're nice again. So the trauma of abuse, it creates a lot of powerful feelings because you're struggling to make sense of all of it. Mm -hmm. And when the abuse alternates between being very kind and considerate and nice and doing all these wonderful things and then becoming an abhorrent human being. Mm -hmm. It's just a real mix-up in your head. I I can imagine how confusing that would be for... Now, is it the, the appropriate word victim? Uh, or is it the, how would, would you, how would you describe the receiver? Um, the receiver is a victim. Yeah. There's just no question Okay, about well, that so whatever, whatever the term is, so that, that person absolutely has to be confused a lot of the times. Oh. And, and maybe questioning the themselves, doubting themselves even oh, in some of this. Well, they intentionally make you doubt yourself. That's something that they, they do consistently and and uh i had one abuser i'm gonna call him mr d okay and mr d was a pro at hurt and rescue okay hurt and rescue and he'd do things that were so terribly hurtful but then he'd do something to rescue you from what he did and it was a consistent sort of thing. I, I remember one of the first times that, no, there's two. There's two times that I remember, but 
I had just gotten a new job and I was going to be working with with politicians and big business moguls and things like that. Well, if I told you that and you didn't know who I was, wouldn't you think that I was fairly intelligent? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because I got the job, right? Right. Yeah. Well, I misspoke with him at a certain point right before I took this job. And we had gone to a bigger city on a trip and he made the decision that he was he wanted to get me some nice clothes to wear for this new job and he would say things to make me feel like you're so smart he would say it Mm -hmm. you're so smart you're so this you're so that and please let me buy you some clothes for this new job you deserve it all of that kind of thing and I'm always hesitant when someone does stuff like that Mm -hmm. for me, but I let him a little. And then I misspoke. Just one word. And I immediately corrected myself. Mm -hmm. But what he said to me was, you know, you're going to be working with highly intelligent people in the position that you took. And so you're going to have to do something about yourself and how you speak to be sure that you sound highly intelligent as well. And then it was more of, well, you know, these highly intelligent people that you'll be working with make a lot of money. So they'll have a lot of beautiful clothes, etc. And so it's a really good thing that I'm taking care of you this oh, way. Oh, boy. Now, back up just, just a little bit to the beginning of the relationship. And the first trip we took, I didn't know him all that well. And he made the decision on the way that we were going to some Broadway show, which I love. I mean... Mm-hmm. He and I had a lot of the same um, interests. Uh, he was going to take me to this. and But before he did, we were going to go pick out a dress. He was going to buy me a dress for this prestigious thing that he was taking me to. Those kinds of things are manipulative. And without knowing me for more than two months, he spent $3,000 on a dress for me. After worked, just two months. After huh? just two months. And Yikes. I was terrified. Like, my heart was beating. This is not what I wanted. Yeah. But he was very pushy about it. And that's how he kind of sucked me in, in a way. Mm-hmm. And when my parents found out about it, at first they were kind of like, wow, she's going to be treated well, and that kind of thing. But then... They had really close couple friends that had a daughter that had experienced that same thing where the man was choosing her clothes and things like that. And it turned into an extremely abusive relationship. And it was kind of a hurt and rescue thing. Mm -hmm. So he tried to make me feel so important and like worthy 
and he bought me this dress and we went to this wonderful show and great restaurant and everything but then it went downhill from there then it was the hurt part Mm -hmm. you know it was the rescue and then the hurt part so on the way home from that trip he was saying things like i don't know if this is gonna work i don't know how i feel on the way home from the trip (laughs) yes after dropping 3k on a dress right but it was totally manipulative i mean he did it well, I'm gathering that, yeah, given yeah. that Hurt and we're rescue. in the topic that we're in. Yes. <laughs> Those kinds of things happened. Wow. Yeah. And he got off on people saying, oh, my God, she's gorgeous, because he had his whole family there, too. Okay. So we went to this high-end restaurant, and he ordered us the most expensive things on the menu, the two of us, not the rest of everybody. He did pick up the check, I guess, for everybody, but it was such an expensive meal that the chef wanted to meet us. And so it's just a whole, like, what would you call it? An ego trip. An ego trip. On his part. Yeah. Yeah. It it had nothing to do with me. Right. Except that he was manipulating and controlling all the situations, and then he's going to make me feel like I was on top of the world, and then he was going to just plow me. Yeah, to keep you in that fabricated world that he's creating for himself. Right, and he kept me there off and on for about six years. Wow. Uh Uh-huh. So trauma bonding, it's a term that you would use to describe everything a specific kind of attachment that two people make. And it's between an abuser and their victim. And so the abuser is strategically using psychological and emotional manipulation to control Mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. And I'm using he because I'm a she. Yeah, but it can happen the other way, too. Absolutely. Maybe not as common. Uh, Not as common. Yeah. Absolutely not as common. No. Um, But it certainly can happen. Mm -hmm. And they they try to gain control over their target. And they try to create a sense of dependency. Okay. And I had something that I found on the internet about the stages of trauma bonding. Okay. Um, so there's seven stages, I guess. This is something that's new to me. I did research on it. Mm-hmm. But I'm just going to read this. Sure. Because I think that I couldn't say it well enough. But what do these stages do to the brain? Research suggests that exposure to trauma confuses or shocks the brain and may lead to several biological changes and stress responses, including post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, Mm -hmm. other mental illnesses, substance use disorders, changes in the limbic system, changes in hormones, altered brain chemistry, or as well, it decreases the brain functioning. 
So some of these changes may be internal and therefore it, it makes it much more difficult for somebody to notice in you because it's not so much external to begin with. Now we've talked about the external with me right. in the end right. where I was lost half my hair. I had six autoimmune diseases because of trauma and abuse and things like that. So that comes later. So nobody ever think that just because you're being emotionally abused that it's not going to affect you physically because it absolutely will Mm -hmm. so the seven stages uh the first one is love bombing so i've already given examples of that okay in that it's sudden and buying very a three thousand dollar dress exactly at two months in right okay very sudden um very intense uh the person often attempts to really create like a we in the relationship right away there was like excessive flattery and yeah. lots of gifts flowers cards clothes trips you know whatever and so you could probably determine that a lot of these men and there's women who do it too but the men have jobs of power they're in power i'm sure there's some correlation there between the uh, the behaviors and and the the drive that uh, exists to become yeah according to my therapists that i've had they've said that as well mm-hmm. that okay. it typically occurs with somebody who has that power in the first place so that they can do those things that makes sense yeah so mr d did a lot of love bombing so how did you feel when that love bombing was occurring confused how so uh well I did not react how he expected me to when he bought me the dress. Okay. We were in this fancy store, and he decided on this dress, and it was beautiful. But I was just out of a very traumatic situation where I'd been abused before. Mm -hmm. And so I could not navigate this well at all. And... I remember him being mad when he came into the dressing room and it had been decided that this was the dress and I wasn't acting the way that he expected me to. What he said was, I can't believe it. I expected this to be a pretty woman moment and you're not giving me anything. Fabricating his own reality here. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Having these expectations. Right. So is that a is that a n- normal kind of a response for people to be have that confusion? Or do you think that was more personal to you because you had been abused prior? I, I suppose for people who have been abused prior, that could occur as well. But But I would think, you know, if somebody started showering me with all kinds of love and affection, I'd like, 
wow, this is cool. This is great. You know, well, and some of the time I felt that way. Yeah. But that was just so over the top. It was, it felt kind of bipolar. Yeah. I mean, that's, I don't mean that in a disrespectful way at all. No, no, no. But it just felt like, wow, this is just so over the top. The behavior goes from way up here to down to, man, you have disappointed me. Right. Because this is what I expected, this pretty woman moment, and you didn't give it to me. That's starting right there. So he gives you this positive and then gives you this negative, takes away that. And did you feel guilty when he said that? Or did you feel kind of, yeah, okay. I felt shamed. Yeah. More shamed than guilty. So there it starts, right? It's starting right there. Oh, yeah. Wow. Mm hmm. Wow. Yeah. And I'd never asked for a thing from this guy. Well, I mean, you know, he's, (laughs) he's creating his own fantasy here. Yes. His own world. Yeah. You don't even have to ask. Uh-uh. He'll just, he's just in the motion of creating. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, it moves into the second stage. Okay. Trust and dependency. So he was starting to make me feel like, oh my God, I better trust him because he's telling me that I'm possibly not smart enough to have this job mm-hmm. and I'd better correct my language which, come on. So he's kind of trying to, quote, unquote, help you. And maybe see you see that as, hey, this guy actually cares about me. At the same time, though, he was trying to make me feel like less. Yeah. Boy, what a dance this is. Holy oh, crap. It is. It is a dance. Um, so I would say that an abuser, they test the victim's trust. And they test their dependency on them, which usually is leading to the target feeling like I did. Guilty, ashamed, questioning myself. Yeah. Because, well, this man, he just did all these things. So I better listen to him because I don't deserve him. That I mean, he's let me know it, but... In a way where I come to that conclusion, basically, that I don't deserve this. And I'm so lucky to have him because, gosh, where would I be otherwise? Because I was a single poor mother with two children. So dare I say that might be kind of a perfect target for somebody like this? Yes. (laughs) I mean, I I don't mean anything (laughs) negative by that, but... But boy, you know, uh, you know, you go back to that pretty woman analogy and, mm-hmm. you know, here's somebody that is struggling in life and you take them up and out of that. Right. And so I kind of confronted him at the time, you know, kind of on the way home when he's saying, I just don't know how I feel about this and that kind of thing to make me yeah. feel like less. Yeah. And so I was getting flack for discounting in his mind, all these wonderful things that he had done for me. So if you make them feel like you are discounting all they've done for you, that's just a vital setup right there for dependency. And then there's the criticism, which, of course, that started in 
stage two, it moves on and it gets worse. Once they've got your trust, they start to pick you apart and your qualities and all of that kind of thing Mm -hmm. um, and make you seem like you're insignificant or you're problematic in some sort of way. It makes you feel like crap. And it makes you feel like you better suck it up because you're not good enough for anyone. And this person must be next to God. Yeah, and I would imagine that somebody in that position would feel an amount of accountability for some of that and maybe start apologizing. Oh, my God. Unexpe- you know, not, yeah. Unnecessarily. Chad, you know I apologize too much. Yes, you do. More often than not. I should get a nickel jar for have you deposit a nickel every time and, and then right. I could buy you a $3,000 dress. Or you could buy your own $3,000 dress. <laughs> Thank you. In a week. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would probably just be a week. I work on it all the time. Yeah. But I do find myself apologizing for things that aren't even my fault. And you call me out on it. Thank God. Well, yeah, and, and hopefully it's received. Uh, you know, it's not as me harping on you. It's just no, no. It's in you know, a very loving you, you way. You don't, you don't need to apologize for existing, Eddie. You don't. Thank you. Uh, you have also noticed something about me that often, I, if you're moving around in a room or you're busy or you're doing something, and I come in, I immediately. I I back up and I I almost wilt mm-hmm. because I don't feel like I'm enough. Yeah. Or I I feel like oh my god I'm gonna upset him I'm gonna get in his way I'm I'm less than you don't think those things about me at all but because I was so trained for so long yeah to feel that way about myself and like everything was my fault mm-hmm. yeah. I, I still do it. My voice still shakes from the abuse. Sometimes my body will still shake from the abuse if I'm in a certain situation. Mm-hmm. But I do tend to pull myself like away from... Oh, I don't even know how to explain it exactly. You could probably explain that better. Like what you see me do. Yeah, I mean, it's really, really interesting. And I noticed this kind of early on in our relationship is that I would, we'd be talking, uh, we'd be standing. I remember standing in your kitchen at your other place Mm -hmm. and we were talking and I would move towards you and I could see you backing up away from me. 